Americans have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Yeah, mine's on. All right, we're ready to go. Welcome back to another episode of the Tough Buckets podcast. Uh, last time we did this, we were all gathered in Lincoln, and uh, the in-season tournament was just starting to kind of heat up. Now it's finally concluded. Today is the 13th of December. Christmas is right around the corner. Green, just such a great passer. Field just picked up his third foul. And now Green runs over Nurkic, and he'll be called for the foul, and they're going to take a look at this. Draymond has gotten himself into more trouble. The Lakers have won the, the inaugural in-season tournament. 5.6 seconds remaining, that's all, and then the celebration will officially begin. The Los Angeles Lakers win the first NBA Cup. They are champions. The reason we didn't do an episode last week is because I took a trip down to Pittsburgh with my girlfriend. She surprised me with Thursday night football Steelers tickets against the Patriots, uh, which was an absolute treat. Uh, I've never been to an NFL game. The atmosphere was awesome. We got to Pittsburgh the day before the game, and we did, uh, in our hotel room, we got to watch Minnesota versus Nebraska men's basketball. And uh, I guess I'm kind of getting sidetracked because I wanted to talk Steelers. But this game was, it made me feel sick watching it because Nebraska is up by, I believe, 19 points or it was something around that, that mark going into halftime. And then Nebraska basketball comes out after halftime and... Minnesota goes on a 30 to 9 run in the first 10 minutes of the second half and we absolutely wash away that game. So back-to-back losses uh to Creighton and then to Minnesota there. So that was fun watching that in the hotel room. Next day before the game we had some time to kill. We made it to downtown Pittsburgh. Uh we saw the the big Christmas tree with the ice skating rink. It's kind of the newest one of the newer parts of the city with uh nice new skyscrapers all around it, which is really cool. It's a big change from what I see every day in like Omaha and Lincoln. That was cool. We, we watched uh, Nebraska volleyball win. And uh, we also saw Louisville. I believe Ellie Glock plays for them too. And we got to see her on ESPN. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but the, the, the game was, was, was amazing. We Ubered there, uh, went to the pro shop. I got a Joey Porter Jr. jersey and uh, wow. Steelers crew neck for my girlfriend to wear, so we we didn't just look like outsiders there. Nice. So we awesome. fit in. We fit in very well there. We had great seats on uh, right behind the Steelers sideline. Got to see them come out right by their tunnel. the The experience was amazing, and I had a blast. Even though the Steelers lost to the worst team in the NFL, and Ezekiel Elliott, Bailey Zappi, and Juju Smith Schuster combined to look like the best offensive trio in the NFL. Oh, I mean, man. come on, Bailey, Zapp- Bailey Zappi threw for three touchdowns in the first half. I'm pretty God. sure that's, like, I was texting you earlier today. Aaron Rodgers and maybe Joe Flacco might have been the only two quarterbacks to do that to the Steelers since I've been alive. Right. Maybe Brady. I'm, I'm sure Brady. Ma- oh, yeah, Brady. Brady, I'm sure, yeah. has done it. But, I but, mean, wow. man, that was a that was a that frustrating was loss. That, that was hard to watch. In back-to-back weeks, we drop home games to – a pair of two win teams in Arizona and New England after we had put together a pretty nice win streak and playing our way into the division race and a possible 
you know, a, a chance to win the division, and then we drop two home games to two really bad teams. I mean, I, I just can't explain it. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't get it. It just makes no sense whatsoever. You know, obviously not having Kenny, uh, you know, for the, for the New England game didn't help. But boy, the defense, like you said, Jake came out flat. I, I don't know. They just didn't. Very flat. They just didn't seem like themselves in that game to me. I don't know. Yeah, we looked uninspired. It was the the body language on the sideline. I had front row seats to that. Uh, George Pickens is obviously frustrated, like he's been all season. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was getting in a lot of guys' face on the sidelines. Uh, Miles Killebrew, he who blocked his fourth punt of the season this year, which is tied for. I think there's only one team that has four blocked punts this year as a team, right. and he is responsible for four of them for the Steelers, which is awesome. He was also screaming on the sidelines trying to motivate people, which is nice to see we have leaders that do care. It just doesn't translate into winning football on the, on the actual field. So I don't know. A lot of people think Mike Tomlin's time has come to an end. I think that's foolish because I think if you put any competent quarterback and any competent offensive coordinator – uh, in the Steelers system, I think we'd be having a different talk. So I, that's why I think that argument is kind of invalid, which, you know, I, I don't really know. I don't have the answers. I don't think the Steelers have the answers. It's just a very bleak time to be a Steelers fan. I saw a stat on Instagram, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the Steelers are actually averaging like a point less per game since they fired Matt Canada. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. Thanks a lot for that one, Sam. I... <laughs> Well, it's worse. I mean, and again, that's a very small sample size, partially without their starting quarterback as well. So there's other things to that. But uh, that's just a very rough offensive situation all around. Yeah, and Joe Flacco signed with the Browns, I think, three weeks ago and has already thrown for as many passing touchdowns as Kenny has this year in just three games, Uh, which (laughs) makes it even worse that it's Joe Flacco doing it for the Browns, which is it just seems like some sick, twisted Right. Fantasy the the NFL is pushing upon Steelers fans at this point. But, you know, it's not all bad. Uh, it's going to get – I think it's oh, it can only get better because I think there's like six teams in the AFC right now with the same record at seven and six. So it's still right. wide open. It Changes can be made. Anything can happen. Uh, I still trust Tomlin, but there's a lot of dudes in, in my section uh, chanting fire Tomlin, and uh, they weren't very happy with his – time management and it's timeout calling in that game which I do agree with there was some questionable calls I'll stop rambling about the Steelers game it was a lot of fun and I'm very grateful to have gotten the opportunity to go it's just a shame that the Steelers had to let us down yeah that that had to be an awesome experience to be able to get to an NFL game and to get to see your favorite team play uh you know that that's that's awesome. I was so excited for you, and I was so pumped up here watching it in the basement. I was looking for you in the crowd. I, I mean, I knew. I, I mean, I knew the chances of seeing you were, you know, slim to none. But I was so pumped up, and then, you know, just minutes into the game, I'm watching Juju have a a renaissance coming up with that catch miraculously in double coverage. And then a few plays later, Ezekiel Elliott gets into the end zone. And from there, it just, (laughs) it just got progressively worse. Uh, One more thing I will say about Akersher and being at a Steelers game 
is I've never heard this from any fans, but when the terrible towels are all waving at the same time, it almost looks like it's snowing because all the towels have little yellow like flecks that kind of come off when you twirl wow. them. So when when everyone's doing it at the really? same time, it just I mean it's not like thick snow. It doesn't look like thick snow. It just looks like there's flurries in in the air the entire wow. time, which is it's really cool actually being there in person. You you can't see it on camera, but. I, I mean, uh, my girlfriend thought it was snowing for a couple different times, and I was like, wait, what is this? And then I realized that it's only happening when I'm waving my towel around like a madman. It was close going into the fourth quarter. I mean, we had somehow find a way to claw our way back into the game at that point. What was it like when the Renegade uh, hit in the fourth quarter when they, uh, you know, go to the classic stick song, Renegade? I mean, I, I every single time I see that, and I, it just brings back memories of James Harrison and Troy Palomalu and those classic Ravens games where people are just losing their mind in the stadium. I mean, what Dude, was that like? It was, it was better than you could ever expect. And the, the coolest part was Sticks actually was there, and they sang the the national anthem before the game. Are you serious? Yeah. So they were there for wow. it, and they were on the Steelers sideline. Man. When it came on, and I just see T.J. Watt and Highsmith look at each other with their tin advisors, and just not nod their heads at each other no. like they know what's about to go down after this kickoff. And it worked. I think that was the possession that we wow. picked them off and brought it to our uh, to their right. I think it was their own twenty, about where we picked them off. So that was right. I mean, I it felt like there was a, an earthquake because everyone was jumping in their seats and screaming uncontrollably it was probably one of the top coolest experiences i've ever i've ever seen i mean the <laughs> renegade song it really does work for the steelers defense it i would love to see the stats after the renegade uh song plays because it's either three and out or right. turnover almost every time i've seen i, I saw a documentary uh uh, where they were talking to Joe Flacco and he was at, they asked him what it was like playing, you know, there and then having to sit through that song and then look across the line of scrimmage at James Harrison and uh, <sighs> Brett Kiesel and those freaking beasts that they had. And he's like, I'm not going to lie, man, that it, it, I mean, I, I don't get scared easily, but when when that song came on and you looked across the line of scrimmage at that defense, he's like, that doesn't happen anywhere else in the NFL. So, I mean, that I was thinking about you, and I'm just like, man, that had to be so cool. Yeah, I mean, I can't that. imagine having Brett Kiesel and James Harrison rushing me and then having to throw a ball into the zone that Palomalu is responsible for. I That I, that feels almost ho helpless. Right. Did you have to buy those terrible towels or did they lay them out on the seats for you? Oh yeah. You got to You got to buy them. They're not expensive. I bought mine on eBay for like $11. You can get the original one oh, for $11 okay, okay. on eBay, but I mean, you didn't even have to bring your own. You could have just, the pro shops has probably 10, 12 different iterations of them. And yeah, there's no shortage of terrible towels going around Acresure. Okay, I see. Because I, I, I was curious. I'm, I mean, I figure for playoff games, you know, you always see NBA teams laying out T-shirts and stuff. So I wondered if the Steelers provided those, but it sounds like they're pretty accessible regardless. I'm sure. I, I think they probably have for certain games. Uh, I think there's like a breast cancer game where they laid out pink ones uh, in like 2016. Uh, but I'm sure there's some games where they do. Yeah, did you did you did you get one for Kyla? Yep, she did had, she of have course. One? I'm not gonna let us go there without at least two. I was thinking about getting three just in case. 
Dude, I wish I could have seen her just up, just going crazy, swinging her terrible towel like that. Before she met you, before she met you, dude, she didn't know a terrible towel from a bath towel. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Yeah, but you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between a new terrible towel and one that made it through a game because from you know scrunching up, putting in your pocket, and waving oh, yeah. it around, they they get worn out a little For bit. Sure. But yeah, that's. Uh, that's my experience at the at the Steelers game. It was a, it was a great time. Hopefully, there's a few more wins that lay ahead in the Steelers season. But we're here to talk basketball for the rest of the That's podcast, right. right? Unless That's Sam right. has uh, unless Sam needs to get out some of his his thoughts on the on the Chargers. Um, uh, no no comment at this time. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, uh, we're we're regrouping for the draft in uh, in April. So <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I think the main topic of the NBA right now is uh, the success of the in-season tournament. And I, I know a lot of people going into this year were hesitant and weren't sure how this would really look and were kind of confused on the, you know, the, the groups and how it works and the point differentials and what all that even means. But after it all went down, uh, I think it also helps that the Lakers were the ones to win it. Right. <laughs> I think a lot of people liked that. But also I think you know, it just adds that level of competitive competitiveness that was that's been lacking for the last 10, 20 years in the early part of the regular season. It, it was just a great environment. I think a lot of people, I can't remember what the ratings, how much the ratings went up, but I know that uh, the record for uh, viewership this early in the season was was broken because of this in-season tournament. So Adam Silver can pat himself on the back for that. So uh, to get to the in, to get to the championship game, the Lakers beat the Pelicans, beat the brakes off the Pelicans. I think LeBron only played 29 minutes and scored the most efficient 30 points of his career at age 38. He's about to turn 39 in I think like two weeks, yeah. which is just unheard of. Before we get to the actual championship game, another topic of conversation is Zion Williamson and his poor performance in that game against LeBron and how out of shape he was. I was watching first take and. Man, Stephen A. and and Shannon just lit him up for at least ten minutes on a segment about how he needs to take his his game seriously. He can't be showing up to this. He can't be showing up out of shape. There's literal clauses in his contract stating that he must stay in shape. He did respond with a 36 point game the next game he played. So I think he is listening to this criticism, and I think he is open. I think he realizes, you know, he he needs to do better. I don't think he's sitting there pouting about it. I think he's a professional and he knows what he needs to do. But that's just something I wanted to get out. I just couldn't believe that. It's just funny that in today's world, uh, it's perfectly fine to fat shame a professional athlete, but God forbid that you tell any other person they need to lose weight because well, then it's offensive. Did you uh, that one specific Stephen A. line from his rant on um, on first take where he said that, New Orleans chefs are desperate. I'm paraphrasing a little bit right now, but New Orleans chefs are desperate to get their restaurants in <laughs> They're front trying of to Zion. Find him. And this was, quote, the word out on Zion Williamson is that he will eat the table. That is a direct <laughs> quote from Stephen A. Smith. I could not believe. I mean, Stephen A., all those guys say some crazy stuff. I could not believe I was hearing something like that on live television. Wow. Zion need personal accountability. 
That's what Zion needs. Yeah, if it comes from a good place. Bro, you still, and I said yesterday, and I'm going to take back what I said yesterday, that Zion loves basketball. No, he doesn't. Because when you love something, you do everything you can. You cherish it, and you try to nurture it, and you try to get it to grow. Zion has not got his butt in shape, and he has not done what he needed to do with his conditioning or his eating habits. So it's on him. If he has a short career, he has no one to blame but himself. Yeah, that was... Oh man, I was I I was listening to that segment just dying laughing. Uh Shannon Shannon and Stephen A that that combo is just great. Yeah, I mean I I mean I like to eat as much as anybody. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not turning down that 6th or 7th piece of pizza uh by any means, but dude, I mean Well, the one the slice you eat while you're standing by the box doesn't count. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I usually eat two pieces <laughs> before I even sit down. So if those don't count, you know, I'm I'm solid at four or five pieces. You know, I then then I'm good. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, but as a professional athlete and with the resources that you have at your disposal, between chefs and trainers, and I mean, at some point. You just have to have some accountability, right? I, I mean, I understand the dude likes to eat, and and I I don't I don't want to call him out and 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 you know shame him in any way, but come on, dude. I mean, you're making twenty million a season. Just check More yourself. Than that. Maybe thirty mil. Check yourself. I mean, just check yourself. Mix in a salad every now and then. I mean, come on. Well, going back to your early. Uh, days as an NBA fan what how did Charles Barkley turn it around because I, I remember the story where he intentionally gained like a hundred pounds in two weeks to yeah. not get drafted by the Sixers how did he turn it around and you know have a long like a long successful career yeah I, I think I, I mean and that, that's a great comparison because I mean their body types are almost identical and Charles you know he had a huge huge problem with that and ultimately that's what led him out of Philadelphia? I mean, I think they just got tired of him, you know, not taking his training seriously. And that's how he ended up in Phoenix. And then when he got to Phoenix, you know, some veterans uh, were calling him out. I mean, I think he played with KJ, uh, Kevin Johnson, and Kevin uh, Johnson. Yeah. 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 And they had some veterans on that team. And they said, look, we're going to make a run at the Bulls. I mean, we have a championship caliber team, but you you got to buy in. And I think he might have been, you know, 27, 28 years old around that time. And he the light just came on and he's like, look, I I can't, you know, I can't go to buffets every night. I got to, you know, I, I'm buying into this team and, you know, we have a chance to win a championship. And I think that's kind of what it took was some veterans – you know, to get on him and, you know, have a chance at winning a title for him to really kind of push himself away from the table. I think that's kind of how it all went down. I was going to say, speaking of Charles Barkley and some similarities there, we could be looking at a situation where people had talked about this for a long time as soon as Zion was first drafted by the Pelicans that he might try to force his way out. Maybe this is a, in addition to other things, this could be a sign of dissatisfaction with the organization or the location possibly. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been hearing rumors that Zion hasn't been happy in New Orleans since his like second year in the league. There could be a real reason. I mean, obviously he's dealt with injuries, but I don't think there was any 
you know, sense of urgency to come back from those injuries. You remember the the playoff push that they made a couple years ago? I think he was he was doing like 360 windmills um, uh, on social media when he was still sitting out of games. I think he just lacks that competitiveness and that that drive to you know win and be and compete at a high level because any player that really wants it bad would have been out there with his team. Uh, and Brandon Ingram, like it would have been a perfect time for him to come back because that was the high, that was the peak of the Pelicans play that year. They were, I, mean, I think they held their own against the Suns in a, like a five or six game series in the one versus eight seed, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Anyways. Uh, yeah. We're supposed to be talking about the Lakers versus Pacers, <laughs> but that was just something I thought had to be addressed, but right. I just have a few notes on the, the Lakers versus Pacers game. Uh, we saw the the Bucks had no answer for Indiana's offensive play style None. because they would just switch they would switch ball screens with Halliburton he would cook them they would go under he would hit threes they would go over he would get by them and you know throw a lob or finish at the basket Halliburton is the real deal and the Pacers that this the trade they made was a bonus for him it was it's more even of a trade than people want to say but they robbed Sacramento of oh, a generational yeah. point guard. And as much, I think the only people denying it at that point are Sacramento fans because they're happy with De'Aaron Fox, which rightfully so. But Tyrese Halliburton is, is legit, and he's going to be the best point guard in the league in only a handful of years. So that being said, the Lakers' approach to defending him was a lot different than Milwaukee's. They double-teamed him 26 times, and most of it was on the ball screens. And... It's different. They have different personnel than than the Bucks because if you double Halliburton with Malik Beasley and uh, who's another wing on the the Bucks, they just don't have the size that the Lakers have. They they double right. him with Beasley and Connaughton. Like he can just throw a pass yeah. right over those guys. But when you double him with Jared Vander, Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish and guys that are six eight Hachimura. and above, that really disrupts yeah. the flow. Hachimura, yeah, the, those guys that are just bigger than Halliburton, that really disrupts what the Pacers were trying to do so I think that uh the, the Lakers if any team is more equipped to beat the Pacers and slow down their play style it is the Lakers obviously AD had uh the best game he's played all season I think he had 40 points and 20 rebounds they made a an, an emphasis on attacking Miles Turner and getting him into foul trouble and I think he eventually fouled out with like five or six minutes left in the game and I think uh AD scored the last 10 or 12 points for the Lakers in that stretch so uh, I think the Lakers came in with, you know, just uh, the best game plan possible for this Pacers team. Uh, and I'm very high on the Pacers. If there was one team from their uh, side of the bracket that I wanted to see represent in the in-season tournament, it was them. So I was very happy to see them take down Milwaukee. And I think that we, we're we going to see a legit playoff push from them this year. But it is kind of hard to take them serious when they when they give up like 80-plus points in the paint. You know, right. that a playoff team can't be doing that. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. What did, what did you guys learn from this uh, in-season tournament? Yeah, well, as far as the Pacers, um, I mean, I think it, it legitimized them a little bit in my eyes to the point where I was looking at them before this the actual tournament part of the in-season tournament and thinking, oh, this is a total team that's – I mean, they're still first in the league in offense and 29th in defense, but I thought, man, they're going to – crumble as soon as they get to a playoff scenario they're a young team that can't play defense and as soon as they have one bad shooting game they're going to fall apart in a series but 
I not not saying I have hope that they're going to make a deep run or anything, but this is looking like a team that absolutely can make it into the second round of of the playoffs in the East. Maybe disrupt the uh, three team power dynamic of the Bucks, Heat, and Celtics that's ruled the conference um, since those Kawhi Raptors dissolved. Uh, I, I think the Pacers look like again. Not that I'm going to be picking them to advance out of the East or anything like that. But I think anyone who's looking ahead in a couple months to a first round matchup with the Pacers is going to have to take that seriously as a team that very much could end uh, their opponent's season. Uh, and then on the Lakers front, I, I don't know, maybe this is the year that we finally, for the first time since the bubble, see Anthony Davis have back to back good games in a big game scenario. <laughs> I mean, Last, I mean, last postseason when he was at his peak, uh, especially in that Warrior series, he was Shaquille O'Neal. And the next game, he looked like Kwame Brown out there. So, right. I, I think he, but he looked great in this in-season tournament. And again, I know it's nothing like the playoffs, but it's still a high-stakes situation. Five hundred thousand dollars for every player on the team on the line, and and he showed out. So I'd. I really like Anthony Davis's chances of putting together consistent performances as the season goes on. And then ratings wise, I know we were talking a little bit about just this tournament overall for the league. Uh, so that championship game, but uh, between the Pacers and the Lakers uh, averaged 4.6, almost million viewers uh, across the channels. It was shown making it the largest regular season NBA audience outside of Christmas games. Uh, which obviously that's a big that's a whole separate animal, but so the wow. it's the most watched regular season game other than Christmas Day since February of 2018. Wow, um, it was Cavaliers you know Celtics. That was? So likely the first game LeBron and Kyrie played against each other. That was that was Gordon yeah, Hayward's was yeah. injury, wasn't it? Yeah. You're so right. since that game, yeah. um, now on average, so the group stage games it looks like they were only marginally more successful than regular games were. Uh, so the in-season tournament averaged yeah, 1.67 million viewers for all games, whereas the regular season games averaged 1.46 million viewers. So only a slight boost in viewership for the group stages. But we got to remember, in those group stages, we are watching some very non-competitive teams play some very non-competitive games. Um, right, but I think the NBA. Yeah, when the when the Celtics are beating the Bulls so bad, they're intentionally fouling uh, Andre Drummond so they can just run up the points oh, to, to make yeah, up the, the point Yeah, I don't know. At the NBA, we have to pull some real tricks to get people to tune into those kinds of games. But it looks like the actual the tournament itself was a big success, drummed up interest in what's normally been a very dead period for the NBA while they compete with both the NFL and college football. So I think. At least for the foreseeable future, the in-season tournament is here to stay. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to jump in for a minute because, I I mean, I would be remiss to not talk about LeBron and the kind of season that he's putting together. But first, I mean, how about LeBron and AD playing in 23 of the team's 24 games? I mean, that's that for the Lakers is a win in itself. So, I mean, that's that's a positive uh, right there. But LeBron, I mean, I, I, I know, I mean, I mean, there's the Jordan camp and then there's the LeBron camp as far as who you're going to put at the top around uh, Mount Rushmore. But uh, 
I mean, let's just take a look and consider what LeBron is doing. Jake talked about it. He's got a birthday coming up here in a couple of weeks. He's going to be 39 years old. I mean, let that sink in for a minute because I'm going to tell you he's shooting 55% from the field. He's shooting almost 41% from three, and he's averaging over 25 points a game in NBA competition as a soon-to-be 39-year-old. I mean, I can sit here and say, you know, that's never been done before. He is playing at a level and at an age that no one has ever seen another NBA player play at that level. So I, it's incredible. I mean, every time... You know, I watch a Lakers game and I see what he's doing. I just have to shake my head. I mean, it's it's just, you can't explain it. You can't, I mean, he is defying mother, not mother nature, because I mean, it's, we don't have thunderstorms. He's defying father time, mother nature's husband. He is defying father time with what he is doing. I mean, it's crazy, Jake. I mean, what, how do you explain that? Well, how, how do you explain it? I, I, I don't, I can't come up with the words to describe how well he's playing. You can't explain it. And it's just so funny because guys like Halliburton, guys that lost the Lakers on the path to the in-season tournament championship, probably came into the league thinking, man, I just watched, I got to watch LeBron and in his career and someday I'll come into the league right. and it'll be my turn to dominate. But then you get there, and, oh, wait, LeBron's still playing. Oh, wait, he's still a top four player in the NBA, and he's dominating me, and I'm right. losing these games to LeBron in his in his 20th season. It has, to, it has to feel even more ridiculous to the people that are playing against him. It has to feel like some kind of sick joke is being played on, on these young guys that – yeah, not yet. Even last night, I was watching um, while I was at work. I was watching a little bit of the Mavs-Lakers game, which was another classic Luka and LeBron duel, which that would be a fantastic playoff series if we could get that. But um, Dante Exum had a crazy game for the Mavs, which is a whole other topic by itself. But I watched LeBron hit some Yeah, Mark Cuban crazy... was dapping him up after the game. Yeah, he went nuts. But I watched LeBron hit some crazy fadeaway over Dante Exum. So LeBron was drafted when Dante Exum was eight years old. Uh, by the time Dante Exum entered the league, LeBron was in the process. Like He was drafted the offseason that he went from Miami back to Cleveland. So he'd already won you know, uh, four MVPs and been to the finals five times. Dante Exum has since, this is his, he spent five years in Utah, two years in Cleveland, uh, two years playing for two different teams in Europe and is now back in the NBA and LeBron is still dominating. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous stuff. No signs of stopping yeah. either. No. Yeah. It, I, I can't I, – I don't have words for it. I, I can't explain it because I, I – you guys weren't around, obviously, yet, but when Jordan was saying his goodbyes – he was a shell of his former self. I mean, go back and watch some YouTube stuff when he was wrapping up his career with the Washington Wizards. He doesn't look like LeBron. I mean, 
watch Kobe. Yes, he had 63 points or whatever in his final game, you know, of his NBA but career. He at which least was... looked like things were slowing down. Correct. Oh, yeah. After every yeah, game, you he have... was wrapped in like, what? He was yeah. wrapped head to toe in bags of ice. Correct. Yeah. He could barely, Kobe, at the end of his career, could barely get to the next game in good enough shape to play. I mean, we you we haven't seen it. I mean, you can go down the list. Larry Bird, Dr. J, Magic. When they all said their swan songs and had their season where they rode off into the sunset on their rocking chair, it didn't look like this. These guys were patched together with duct tape and pre-wrap. I mean, they could barely get onto the floor. And LeBron, he looks like he's in his mid-20s. I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. I, I mean, I whatever he's doing, I wish I had the money to do because I could probably live until I was 150 years old. Because he whatever he's doing, he has it figured out. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, well, we could talk about LeBron and him defying father time for probably the rest of the episode, but there are some other teams that have warranted some attention on the podcast. So I think we should switch up to the other L.A. team. I know Jason had uh, some notes on them we, we, need to, we need to cover. Yeah, let's talk about the Clippers. I, they look like they're figuring it out, right? Yeah, I mean, one, six of their last seven, is that correct? Correct. Six of their last seven, 10 and three, their last 13 games. They're the third best defensive team in the NBA over their last 13 games. Russ has gone to the bench and you know what? It hasn't made news. I mean, he's not, he's not disgruntled. He's not upset. He's not throwing chairs in the locker room saying, you know, I need to start. I mean, Tyron Lue and the job that he's done has been amazing. I mean, they're 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 healthy. I I do feel bad because I, you know I think PG came down with a groin in his last game, but Kawhi and PG up until this point have played every game. I mean, they've both played in all twenty three yep. games. Kawhi looks like he's experiencing a renaissance. I mean. He looks really good. I mean, the dude is shooting 42% from beyond the three-point line, and he's playing almost 35 minutes a game. I mean, like LeBron, I mean, he's experienced a little bit of a renaissance. And James Harden, you know what? Everybody, when he first came there, said, this isn't going to work. They're not going to make the playoffs. This is going to be a disaster. But, hey, I mean, he's been playing pretty good. He's shooting 46% and 39% from three. So whatever Tyron Lue is doing with that veteran lineup, it's working. And, I mean, they're 10-3 and three their last 13 games, like I said. And you've got a sixth man of the year, a norm a candidate, sixth man of the year candidate in Norm Powell coming off the bench. He's playing extremely well. I mean, he's given them – really good minutes and the scary thing is is uh Robert Covington he's been dealing with injuries he's only played in a I think one maybe one game for the Clippers well, didn't he get so, traded I thought he got traded to the Sixers 
Oh, that's right. My bad. Yep, yep, he did. He got moved in the Sixers deal. So they don't have him anymore, but they've plugged in some other guys for him. And it's kind of been a seamless transition. And as long as they can keep Kawhi Leonard and Paul George healthy, and I mean, hopefully uh, PG isn't down too long with that with that groin injury. But I mean, a lot of us have talked about the Clippers. We had them in the finals last year and it didn't work out. But, I mean, give credit to Ty Lue. He's holding that all together, and somehow he's making the reunion with James Harden and Russ Westbrook work. So, I don't know. I've been impressed with them. They're playing really, really well. We'll see if they can continue to play that well. We'll have to kind of see how it goes. But, I mean, I like it. I like what they're doing there. I mean, what do you guys think? Paul George, uh, apparently his injury is not super serious and that there's a they don't play until tomorrow night against the Warriors. Uh, but okay. there's a good chance he plays right away then, and if not, he'll be back by next week. That's good. That's good. Right, yeah, you know, and you I look at you look at where the, the Clippers are at in the in the standings, they're one game back from LA in that six seed. So the sky isn't falling. I think we all knew Tyron Lue would be able to figure things out and, you know, handle the personalities and the and the drama that comes with, you know, moving your starting point guard to the bench after you promised him a starting spot this year. But the most important thing about the last uh, few games for the Clippers is Harden and Russell Westbrook haven't played one minute together. And that was the biggest issue when Harden first got there is, I mean, like we said in the last podcast or the last two podcasts, like, it's obvious that Harden and Westbrook don't work on the floor together. We we don't need more evidence of that. We've seen we've had years in different decades proving that to be true. <laughs> so we don't need to see that anymore. So they, they don't play together anymore. And what do you know? Their plus minuses go up individually. And um, Kawhi Leonard has also averaged 35 points in the last three games. And I think any basketball fan has to appreciate, you know, Kawhi Leonard getting healthy again and playing at the level where we want to see him play at so I think that people were too fast to turn on the Clippers for making that move I don't think it was I still don't think it was a perfect trade on their end I don't think it was a damning to their season like a lot of NBA fans first thought I mean everyone's real quiet when they win six of their last seven no one has anything to say but you know that's just right. NBA fans for you yeah, and, and they're making it work. They're the over their last thirteen games. They're the third best defensive uh, team in the league, and they're making that work with James Harden and Russ on the schedule. So I mean, again, enough credit can't be given to Ty Lue and and the job that he's done. You know, with this squad and moving pieces around and replacing key guys that he lost you know, in the hardened trade, trying to come up with a bench rotation. I mean, this team is still, I mean, I, I honestly think, I mean, they've won 10 out of their last 13, but I'm not sure we've seen the best from them yet. I mean, I think maybe in the second half of the season, once we get into February, they might be even better than they are right now. Well, and I think too, looking ahead to uh, the postseason, you look at the other top uh well, the, the other teams that are in the top eight in the West, I think they match up pretty well with the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Mavericks, the Kings, the Lakers, the Suns. I think they match up well positionally with all those teams, especially with 
running Zubac, who's an okay uh, rim defender, and then you got obviously Kawhi and, and Paul George there anchoring the wings. I mean, outside of the Nuggets, who I, I don't know who on that team – if your backup center is Daniel Tice, uh, Jokic might give you problems. But if they can avoid the Nuggets until the conference finals, this is a team that could make a run that deep. Yeah, 100%. I, I noticed you left out the, the Nuggets when you were looking at teams that they matched up well against. And yeah, I was like, yeah, I, no one really matches I, yeah. up well against the, the Nuggets. I don't know who Matt, who does match up well with the Nuggets in a seven-game series. Um, but I know the rest of the West um, – a lot of wing scorers on those teams, and that's what the Clippers should be able to handle the best on the defensive end. So I, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, our concerns at the beginning were greatly overblown, which, again, they didn't do themselves any favors by losing – how many games was it in a row when they first made that trade? They lost like six in a row, wasn't it? Five in yeah, a row? Yeah, I mean, it was a little ridiculous. Yeah. It, it was like comical almost how, how bad they were. You knew that wasn't going to continue, but, man, they have really turned it around. And uh, before we move out of the Western Conference, I did just want to touch on the Minnesota Timberwolves real quick. They have proven everyone wrong going back to last season. They're now tied for the best record in the entire NBA with the Boston Celtics, who I think are unanimously uh, accepted as the best team in the Eastern Conference at this point. There's not much to really talk about with them. They're just elite like they are almost every regular season. But Minnesota... The number one team, number one seed in the West, first in defensive rating, and they're doing it without Jaden McDaniels, who is arguably their best on-ball right. defender. He he could be the best on-ball defender in the entire Western Conference. If if we're being honest, he was playing at such a high level before he went down with an injury. I'm not sure what the injury was, but he did just come back and play in their last game. So uh, it's going to be hard for any other team to pass them in def- defensive efficiency when you have Rudy Gobert playing at the level he has. I mean, Cats looked a lot more comfortable playing next to uh, a traditional center in Gobert. Uh, I mean, you look at this team, and they have all the ingredients for an elite playoff team. We just have to see them actually do it in the playoffs. I mean, that's has that has yet to be seen besides their glorious in uh, play-in victory a couple years ago when Pat Bev led them to that awesome oh, yeah. victory we covered oh, a couple yeah. years ago. But they also have Nas Reed as as their sixth man, who is absolutely yeah. beloved. I know Sam's seen some memes on Instagram. It's like, honk if you love Nas Reed. There's like a bakery in Minnesota <laughs> that says Nas Reed was here, and there's a line stretching to the end of the block trying to get in. It's it's really funny, but he's a legit sixth man yeah. of the year candidate, and this team is looking like they've figured it out. I, I think they're the, the – them, maybe – uh, Los Angeles, maybe Phoenix. I'd say those are the three teams that pose the biggest threat to uh, the reigning NBA championship and the reigning NBA NBA champions in the Nuggets. So I don't know. I, I maybe you can't take them serious because we haven't seen them do it yet. But they're looking very scary, led by their All Star uh, Anthony Edwards. I think it's been far enough into the season that this, while they may even if they don't stay as the number one seed, this is a legitimate team and it looks like they finally um exited that rebuild stage and kind of entered that contender stage the problem for a team like the Timberwolves or the Thunder who are actually the top two seeds in the west this year the seventh and eighth seeds right now are the Clippers and the Suns like the west runs (laughs) eight eight very good teams deep so for these young teams with you know mostly young stars who don't have a ton of deep playoff experience 
um, running into guys with championship pedigrees and Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or almost that level and Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Paul George, um, Devin Booker, like that, ugh, that's a tall task for a young team. It's kind of an unfortunate year to be breaking into that next level, but uh, they they look hot so far and they look like they could go toe to toe with just about anyone. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they're they're kind of in a challenging situation right now because Ant's dealing, you know, with that injury. I think it's a hip, maybe. Uh, he's he's missed some time here over the last three games, but the guy I have to give credit to, and 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 the guy that's that's holding it together is the the vet Mike Conley at point guard. I mean, the dude just shows up every night, and his veteran leadership, and I mean, people forget about the playoff runs you know, that he had early in his career, you know, with Memphis, I mean, that's invaluable. I mean, he's, I, I mean, he's not going to put up flashy numbers. I mean, I think he's averaging just over 10 points a game and maybe five assists a game, but the 29 to 30 minutes that he gives you on the court with this, you know, relatively young team are, is invaluable. I mean, I just think his veteran leadership and then the dudes coming off the bench, Jake mentioned uh, Jaden McDaniels. Don't forget about Kyle Anderson, Shake Milton. I mean, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he's kind of had to step in to the uh, starting role uh, with Ant out, but he was coming off the bench before. I mean, this is just a well-constructed team that, like Sam said, I mean, we're 22 games in to the season uh, right now, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's an anomaly. I mean, they're, they're showing that, you know, they're here for the duration. So credit to the T-Wolves, you know, to be, you know, sitting there at 17-5, and five, you know, this far into the season. And that's a great point you made about Mike Conley. You just look at this team with – D'Angelo Russell as their starting point guard and you swap him for Mike Conley, what do you know? It's a whole different dynamic. And you're right, he doesn't put up flashy numbers, but there is one sneakily kind of flashy stat that I've been following this season with this guy. How about 136 assists to 23 turnovers? That's almost a 7-to-1 turnover rate for a veteran, like a 36-year-old point guard in the NBA. That's that's hard to do. I mean, that's something that I think Tyrese Halliburton is is the only other player that's really capable of doing that right now. So he that's takes care of the ball. Strategy. He he runs the offense. I, I think that's seven to one, right, Sam? One one thirty six to twenty three. It's a little less than seven to one. Uh, yeah, that'd be a little bit less. Yep, like closer yeah, to like six six point seven, like yeah. six point six, six point seven to one, something like that. But that's still, regardless, that's very impressive for. You know, just a, a a guy they really took a shot on in the trade market last year. Yeah, if I could just jump in here quick and talk about the Celtics. Uh, a couple of things on Boston. I mean, like Jake said, I don't think anyone's going to argue that they're the team to beat in the Eastern Conference right now, 17-5. and five. They're starting five when Porzingis is in the lineup, is outscoring their opponents 27.5 points per 100 possessions. Jeez. I mean, think about that. With Porzingis in the lineup, the Celtics are outscoring their opponents by 27.5 points per 100 possessions. And I know bringing him in, a lot of people were saying, ah, he's always injured. He's not going to make a difference. I, you know... 
the first 22 games, and I know he's missed some time with injury, but when that guy is on the floor, they are a different team. And their spacing when he's able to be on the floor is absolutely incredible. I mean, I've watched a handful of games, and when they're in the half court and Porzingis is in the lineup and you have Tatum and Holiday and Brown and all the boys surrounding him, that offense is damn near impossible to stop because what he does is he forces the five out to the perimeter. So you're going to have to guard him because he can score from out there. So guys like Jokic and guys like Gobert and guys like Nick Claxton are going to have to go out there and chase him to the three-point line. And when they do that, it opens up the lane for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all those guys to just attack the basket. And when I've watched games when Porzingis is in the lineup, that is exactly what he does. He is enough of a threat outside of the three-point line that he's going to force that big out there to guard and Boston just absolutely attacks the paint. And it's it's impossible to stop, as you can see with you know their point differential with Porzingis in the lineup. And what that does also is that allows you to bring Al Horford, a guy with championship experience, off the bench. You know, he was a starter last year. Now he can come off the bench and give you valuable minutes. So I don't know. That addition of Porzingis to me has been the key to Boston's success this year. And defensively, when you're dealing with this Celtics team, it doesn't end when Kristaps goes off the floor. Because when he takes a sub, the guy that's coming in for him can also space the floor when you're talking about Al Horford. And then Sam Hauser's right. having a great season for them this year, shooting. Yeah. Uh, let me exactly. pull this up. Sam Hauser's shooting 44% from three, and he's your third string center. So they space right. the floor the entire game, it doesn't stop. They they just right. They constantly have five guys on the floor that shoot thirty three percent or better from three point land, and the guy shooting thirty three percent is Jalen Brown, and Drew Holiday's even shooting thirty eight percent. So, yeah, you got to guard them to the three point line, and they they can get to the basket at will because yeah. of that. And that's the and perfect blueprint and, for modern basketball. Exactly, and let's not forget about Derek White. That guy. I tell you what, it has been a game changer for the Celtics since coming over for San Antonio. He is 13th in the NBA. The entire NBA, 13th in the NBA in plus minus. When that guy is on the floor, I, he just does everything right. And I mean, he's shooting almost 44% from three. I mean, that's crazy. And Jake mentioned how they spaced the floor, but... I got to give credit to that guy because he's made a huge difference for the Celtics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Moving Watching. on from, from Marcus Smart and keeping Derek White was the right move. I know some people didn't like that, but that was a 100% the correct move. Well, watching the Celtics and the Heat duke it out in two seven-game series the last two years, I don't know if I, – the I think the Celtics – well, obviously, they lose last year a lot quicker than they did. And the year before that, I don't think they win that series without Derek White. I mean, 
Now, at right. that point, he was just their spark plug guy off the bench. But, man, he shaved his head. They put him in the starting lineup, and he's <laughs> he's – I, I love that move to put him in the starting lineup. I would watch those games and those series and just the Celtics in general and wonder, like, I, I know this just their guard rotation was stacked at the time, but why is Derek White not starting? Like, why is he not playing at least enough minutes as a starter? And they finally put him in there, and it's certainly paying off so far. And we haven't even talked about Drew Holiday yet, who's still playing elite defense and also giving you 12 points uh, as your fourth leading scorer on the team. They, are, I mean, they're fifth. They almost have six guys in double figures if you count Sam Hauser's nine and a half points right. per game. So, yeah, they're. I think they're like top. I think they're top five in offensive rating and defensive rating, which is, I mean, you look at the roster, you you would fully expect that. Yes, yeah, seventh in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating. What was what'd you say the offensive was? Seventh. So right outside oh, the top seven. five. I gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, when when you look at Holiday, I mean, he hasn't really I mean, defensively he's gonna bring it every game. I mean, he's a top, you know, all NBA defensive player every year, but he really hasn't hit his stride yet offensively. I mean, I think he can give you more than the twelve point four points a game and the, you know, 4.9 assists. I just think he's trying to fit in and figure out where he fits in that whole offensive scheme when you have three guys, including Porzingis, averaging almost, you know, over 20 points a game. And the Celtics value his defense way more than him getting 16 per game. They, I mean, they'll, they're mm-hmm. perfectly fine with him hovering around 10 to 14 points per game because that's not what they need him for. They need him to lock down the other team's one or the first or second best ball handlers next to Derek White. I mean, I can't imagine being the backcourt going into Boston, having to deal with Drew Holiday and Derek White chasing me around all game. That has to be a night. That has to be a nightmare. All right. So now we have a couple things left to talk about. We can either move on to Draymond Green or we can talk about uh, and make fun of the three worst teams in the NBA right now. What do you guys want to do? Should we do Draymond first? Yeah, let's let's uh, yeah, let's let, talk let, Draymond. Let's just let's let's spend a couple minutes on Draymond. Go ahead, Sam. You, you break it down. Yeah, so we are this is a, a timely topic we're covering here. I don't think we initially planned on addressing this in the episode. That happened last time Draymond, too. When he when he punched uh, or when he chokeholded Gobert. We weren't even gonna talk yeah. about that. It was like the day before two this is literally last night, like not even twenty four hours ago. This dude, Draymond Green, was getting him and Yusuf Nurkic were on the sideline uh, on an inbounds play. And, you know, they're getting a little physical, as you would expect guys like Yusuf Nurkic and Draymond Green to get. Uh, And Draymond, at least how he described it, felt that he was getting pushed in his hip a little bit. So he decided the best way to address that would be to uh, (laughs) spin around and swing a closed fist directly at Yusuf Nurkic's forehead. Um, And it... It made contact. Now, I, I do think that Nurkic was probably selling it a little bit on the ground, but absolutely a flagrant two foul. Uh, even worse than the Rudy Gobert one that he was ejected for earlier this year because this wasn't even a scuffle where you could say, oh, I was trying to defend my teammate, whatever. He just clocked the dude, mostly unprovoked, um, and was ejected for the game. So for those keeping track at home, this is Draymond Green's third ejection this season 
and the second of which was for a flagrant two foul, I think. So you had the Gobert one, he had another ejection that was just two technicals, you know, regular Draymond stuff. And then and then this, you know, punch on Nurkic here. And he has only played in 15 games this year, uh, mostly due to that five-game suspension he got for hitting Rudy Gobert. So if you're, right now, Draymond Green, if he plays in a game, there is a 20% chance that he gets ejected from said game. Yeah. 20% wow. um, of the, the games he's played, he's gotten ejected from. One every five games. And now, so I was just listening to a um, – Normally, I don't love the ESPN talking head clips. I mean, I know we talked about for entertainment value, they're certainly great. But for actual educational value on situations, usually not fantastic. But Brian Windhorst was talking about what the suspension is going to be looking like coming forward from this. So Draymond was just suspended five games for putting Rudy Gobert in a chokehold. And now he hits Yusuf Nurkic. I, I don't even know if it was two weeks off of that suspension ending uh, a very short amount of time. Yeah. That feels like it was just last week. It was just, <laughs> it, it really it was not very long ago. And apparently I didn't even know this, but Joe Dumars is in charge of the NBA's division for, I don't know the exact name, but whoever decides what punishments get passed down, which is kind of an ironic choice. That, Wasn't he on the Bad Boy uh, Pistons? That, yeah, I remember yeah. the Bad Boy Pistons is now dishing out suspensions and punishments. But <laughs> anyways, um, and he said regarding a suspension last year uh, that they are taking into account that he is a repeat offender. Basically, there's like a Draymond exception to the rule of a suspension. Like if this was a random oh, uh, and I was listening to uh, it's Kenny Beecham, right, is his name? Yeah, he does the the does he do like officiating videos kind of? I've seen a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he does a lot of NBA stuff and uh he was he was saying if this was a random guy, like a random player, let's say Jonathan Kaminga, I don't know, I was pulling a random name, had done hit the Yusuf Nurkic, he would for sure still get a flagrant two, be ejected. Probably have a one to two game suspension, but you're looking at Draymond who already the league has said yeah, we're giving him extra punishments because he's such a notorious repeat offender, is fresh off of a five-game suspension. We could be looking at I, – I don't think it's crazy to say we could be looking at double-digit suspensions here. Yeah, like a John Morant type of, type of suspension. And maybe right. not all the way up to 25 games, but I'd be shocked. I, would be, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 10 or more. Yeah, I think that it has to be 10 or more, right? Like, if he's going to learn a lesson? You would think yeah. so, and I, I, I'll, I'll let you guys jump in here too, but uh, at what point, if you're the Warriors, like, they are a struggling team so far this year. Um, Clay Thompson is having his own struggles related to the Ooh. actual game of basketball, which we'll talk about at, a, at another date, I'm sure. But this team needs Draymond there as, like, a kind of leader on the team, certainly as a defensive anchor, but – by the time he gets back from his what I'm sure is coming as another suspension, he'll have m maybe missed half the games of the season at that point. Like, what what do you do if you're the Warriors moving forward? I don't even know. I mean, he has a track record going back 10 years of these kind of things. But if you just look at the last year, he's p punched a teammate ran him away from the team they had to trade him because the vibes were bad and apparently it was all good at the start of this season everything's good but then you look at what he's done this season clocks donovan mitchell on the the baseline chokeholds go bear 
and now has punched Yusuf Nurkic in the face. This has all happened within the last like three weeks, like to the to the last month. Yeah, I think this is right. some kind of agenda Draymond has. I think he's trying to get out of Golden State. Maybe, maybe he wants to go to Los Angeles and play with his absolute idol, LeBron James. I I don't I don't know right. what his goal is here. I I Golden yeah, State he just got said, a big extension, didn't he? Yeah, he signed it this offseason. I forgot about that. Yeah, ab- absolutely insane. I, I I don't know, and the, this is a topic for a whole other episode that we probably need to prep for, but um, the Warriors as a whole are just struggling mightily right now. Steph was even showing signs of visual frustration. This wasn't – I don't know if this was right after that Draymond hit, but it was a little bit after he, like – kicked a chair or not super hard you know wasn't going full Bobby Knight on her or anything but he kicked a chair he looked frustrated I uh, I don't know it's it looks rough in Golden yeah, State right definitely. now definitely uh it looks really bad right now but there's a huge chance that they rattle off like nine in a row in a couple months and we're having a different conversation but they're not near the level they were a couple years ago when they were competing for a championship that's just it's just not no. the case anymore no, it says he's here. I I was going to say, I did look, to the Warriors' credit, um, the Ringer, oh, he must be having some audio problems. The Ringer uh, posted certain significant teams' strength of schedule to this point and after this point. So the Warriors have had the second toughest schedule up till now and have the easiest schedule in the league from this point moving forward. So they're going to get better. Their record's going to improve, but... I mean, man, with how deep the West is this year, they are two and a half games out of the last play-in spot right now, which is not something we expected to say. Um, yeah, we, we could be looking at the f- true flame-out of an NBA dynasty, which does not happen very often, but is could be happening yeah, right can now. Yeah, you, can you guys hear me now? Yep, you're all good. All right. Yeah. 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 I dropped out there for a minute. I don't know exactly what happened, but Sam made some great points. I mean, this, this warrior team is in a free fall. I mean, they're 10 and 13. It's just, it's been an abject disaster. And I mean, you, you can take, I mean, even if you take Draymond out of the equation, I mean, Clay, I don't know what's going on with Clay, but he looks like a shell of his former self. And you can tell that Steve Kerr doesn't exactly know what to do night in and night out with this team because Steph and Clay are the only guys averaging more than 30 minutes a game. I mean, he is trying all sorts of combinations to see if he can figure out what is going to work with this team. I mean, I think he wants to believe that uh, Jonathan Kaminga is going to be the next guy to step in. I mean, Dario Saric is is making an appearance on this team. I mean, everyone thought we're going to bring in Chris Paul and we're going to make another run at a championship, but it's just not working. I mean, I I don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, the Draymond stuff is obviously a distraction, but I think that's just one of the many problems that uh, Steve Kerr and the Warriors are dealing with right now. They just have no, they, they just have no direction. They're not, they just have, they, they're, it looks to me like they just don't know which way to turn. I mean, he, he looks to the bench 
and he's bringing in Braden, uh, the fr- uh, the the rookie Podzimski. Uh, he's bringing in Moses Moody. I mean, he's looking for anything that's going to work on this team. And quite honestly, nothing has so far through the first twenty-three games. I was st- Jason. Were you in here when I when uh, I talked about their strength of schedule yeah. to this point and yeah. what's remaining? Yeah. Yeah. So, like we said, I, they've been playing some tough teams. Uh, this is definitely a gauntlet, but um, a the easiest strength of schedule from here on out certainly looks right. a little bit harder when you're missing one of your starters and key guys and your defensive anchor for what's likely to be multiple games. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens from this point out. And it's not just looking ugly for the Warriors. There are other teams that are struggling Ooh. way more than them. And ugly. that's how we're going to wrap up the, the episode. So I know Sam has been dying to get to this, but <laughs> the three worst teams in the NBA – have combined for a total of what, like six or seven wins between the the Wizards, Spurs, and uh, oh, who am man. I missing in this? Who, it's who, oh, and the Pistons, the Pistons. obviously, and uh, yeah, the Pistons. Eight wins, and so it's eight wins and fifty nine losses. Wow. Oh my god! Um, which so I looked up this list. So I, everyone, so the the Wizards at least have broken up their lot losing streaks with wins so they're not on a historic losing streak here sitting at three and 19 the spurs have lost 17 games in a row sit at three and 19 but they're not even being talked about of their seven that 17 game losing streak is huge like getting up there in the levels of nba history for longest losing streak yet they're not even being mentioned because the detroit pistons after starting two and one have lost 20 games in a row and their next three games are home against the Sixers and then a back-to-back in Philly in Milwaukee. So we're looking at a team that, barring an actual like upset miracle, will be at 23 straight losses. Um, and I looked up, I was just curious. I know right now the Pistons have the lowest win percentage in NBA history, even lower than the 2011-12 Kemba Walker lockout Charlotte Bobcats which that's right around the time Jake and I at least I started really paying attention to basketball I remember making fun of those teams back in back in grade school um but out of the nine worst teams in NBA history by winning percentage and again I know it's early season so it's a bit of a sample bias here but the Pistons are the worst and the Wizards and Spurs are tied for the eighth worst teams in NBA wow, history. Geez. Like this season, we have nine or three, sorry, three of the nine worst teams to ever show up to an NBA court. And all of these teams are down in the levels of incompetency. The only teams since the turn of the, of the millennium that have been this bad are the aforementioned Charlotte Bobcats and the worst year of the trust the process yeah. Sixers oh when they that's were just right tanking Sixers. to acquire Ooh, draft picks wow. so we're we're when we're talking about the lockout Bobcats and the trust the process Sixers and your teams are in Ooh. the same sentence like I recognize we're rebuilding here but they know that you're not tanking for women yum anymore right it's, wow. it's just crazy like he's already in it's the crazy because you look at the the Bobcats and that other Sixers team you mentioned they at least <laughs> The personnel on the team is like, yeah, that makes sense. But you look at who Detroit has on the team. Cade Cunningham, the Thompson twin, 
You have right. Bagley and Bagley and Wiseman desperately trying to prove Jayden they're Ivey. true NBA players. Jaden Ivey, Bogdanovich, like these guys are good, like legit players that teams would like to trade for. So how right. are they two and twenty-one? The Detroit Lions are on pace for a better season. Wow. I <laughs> Yeah, oh, seriously. Man. I there is not enough red wine in San Antonio for Greg Popovich at this point. I mean, that that <laughs> poor dude everything that he has accomplished in his career. How would you like to go out every night and have to coach that group? Jake, what has happened to your boy Keldon Johnson? That guy was on your fantasy team last year and lighting it up. It looks like he's forgotten how to play. What is going on? Yeah, I, the thing is, the difference between the Spurs and, and the Washington and Detroit combination in the East is they at least have something to experiment with and work towards because they have Wimbenyama who just had right. his first 20 point, 20 rebound game. I think it was yesterday or a couple days ago. Hey, which he, they, they have he things has, to look forward to. He has been really good. I mean, let's take a moment to, to he talk about what he has done as a 19 year old. He, he's 19 years old. Okay. Let's let that sink in for a moment. He is averaging almost 19 points a game, 10, almost 11 rebounds a game, and three block shots a game. Yeah, he's missing a ton of shots. He's not shooting great uh, from the field or the three-point line, but let's give the guy credit. He has had a huge spotlight put on him you know, as being the next guy in the NBA at 19 years old. And I'm sorry for all of their struggles. He has answered the bell. He has been everything that everyone thought he was going to be. Totally. Uh, I got one more stat to throw out with a couple of these teams before we get out of here. Uh, Popovich and Monty Williams actually both recently signed the two biggest coaching contracts in NBA history, combined 10 years, $150 million between the two. They've combined for a record of 5-40 and 40 this year. Isn't that, isn't that just insane? Like, they're getting paid Insanity. that much money to lose these games. Popovich, it makes sense. You know, he's, he's ending his career coaching the, the next generation of, of Spurs guys. But Monty Williams went to Detroit to turn things around. And somehow they're worse than they were last year. I don't understand. Um, and when you look at these three teams, uh, with the Spurs, they're, we know they're in a rebuild and they need to – like the Spurs, this is bad. You expect – you knew they are going to be bad. You knew they weren't going to be competing even for a play-in spot. But um, with – the guys they have on their lineup in a vacuum, you expected them to at least be a little bit better, that Wemby wouldn't be the only guy out there actually playing well game in and game out. And with the Wizards, I think we all agreed that coming into the year they were going to be the worst team in the yeah. league this year. This is the first year of their rebuild. Like, we expected them to be bad. Now, again, top 10 all-time bad? No. But we we expected them to be really bad, right? It's the Spurs and to a greater extent the Pistons that worry me. Like, what? You're 
years deep into a rebuild, especially if you're Detroit, and you're somehow getting significantly worse? Like, what are we doing? From what I've heard uh, from draft experts on the podcast and, and articles I've been reading, this is going to be one of the weakest. I mean, there's no way to really tell, but it's projected to be one of the weakest draft class of the last decade. So there's there's not an incentive to lose these games. There's no Wimbenyama at the other side of this horrible season you're having. There's no light at the end of the right. tunnel here this season. Right. I mean... What I mean is Cooper Flag. I mean, is he is he the next guy that we're going to be talking about in the NBA? I mean, See, like Jake I'm not said, sure he's next year's draft class. I think he might be two years from now. Is is he two years out still? I think he'll be in Bronny's class, but I could be wrong. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because Maybe I'm I not could gonna, be wrong though. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I've seen some film on that guy. Uh, <laughs> He's pretty scary. I mean, he he is a generational talent. The only thing that I question with him right now is what kind of level of talent is he playing against? You know what I mean? I got to see him play against some real dudes in some real right. games to believe that he's able to do all of the crazy stuff that I'm seeing him do you know, in these in this high school footage that I'm watching. I'm looking at the top. So Bleach Report has a very early mock draft out here, and I'm looking at their pro comparisons for these top five prospects, most of which I've never heard of or only heard of in passing. But we're in comparisons. Like, now, again, these guys are very good players, but Franz Wagner, <laughs> uh, Harrison Barnes, Baron okay. Davis, Jaron Jackson Jr., like – all good players, but if you're one of these three teams having a historically terrible season, if you're a fan of them, are you like, oh, sweet, we can get the next Harrison Barnes. <laughs> like, that's okay, it'll all be worth it. You know? <laughs> like, again, any team would be happy to have Harrison Barnes, but not as the consolation prize for losing 65 games. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we'll have to check back in with, with these teams later on. We didn't really talk about Washington. They got let off the hook, but it's very <laughs> ugly there too. Uh, but we got to wrap things up because my AirPods are dying. But, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, Thank you, Sam and Jason, for hopping on tonight. This was a fun episode, and uh, we'll be back probably sometime next week. Yeah, I'll be back um, back in Nebraska next week, so we'll look into Ooh, another in-person Yeah, we, we, we might have to do an in-person get-together again. And then we can then we yeah, can gang I'll be up back on the for Wizards. Yeah, a couple weeks in a row. So, yeah, there we we'll, go. Yeah, we can come more we'll, prepared. We, we will break down the wizard struggles over a case of Bud Light. Sounds at good Jake's to me. Place for <laughs> sure. Go. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys.